So I have a sad story to share with you, of a true story. It's all legit. I was in, I think, ninth grade when it happened. I was at my friend Skylar's house. So Skylar was uh, that one. There's two of them, Skylar and Ethan. They were the, the crazy kids. You knew them. Everyone avoided them because you're like, no, these guys are a little too outlandish for me. Uh, Skylar lived way out in Seabeck, just to give you a picture of who he was. And so uh, ninth grade, I started hanging out with Skylar. Uh, all of our friends every weekend would go over there and hang out. And he had uh, these three pug dogs. You know, you know, pug the... Yeah, the real popular ones right now. Yeah, not Ugg boots, but pug the yeah, dog. you don't make pug. No. You don't make boots out of them. There's th- three of them. I don't remember their names. I remember one was uh, like Raphael or something like that. And he, w- he was a honker. He looked like a barrel with four little peg legs. I mean, he was just the fattest dog. The ratio of fat to body was quite, it was quite large. So um, I remember just always thinking, was like, how is this dog still alive? Honestly, I mean, the dog is so large. It, it would breathe. Can you do like a good, like rat, like a nasally, like. Yep, that was close. That was really good. I sound like the pug. That's... You did. Mm. Compliment right there. I got to work on my impressions. But... The, the pug always sounded like it was asleep because it was snoring, but it was just like its fat was so everywhere. I think it just plugged its own nose with its own fat. And I hope you can get a picture. It was the cutest dog in the world, but more like a, like it was so ugly it was cute, you know? Oh, yeah. And so we hung out there, and again, we'd, we'd seen this dog for ages. We're like, man, this dog, like, Skylar, this, your dog is so fat. And it was always a joke because they were putting it on a diet. The mom really wanted the dog to be healthy. She knew it wouldn't last long if it stayed this fat. So uh, we made the mistake of, uh, of looking up what the fattest pug in the world was because we're like dude your dog could have a world record right here so we looked it up and we found out this pug was like less than three pounds away from literally in the world record book being the fattest pug in the entire world just again a barrel with four little peg legs that's exactly what it looked like and we had been there for probably you know six months and all so we uh we thought skylar i know your mom really wants to put the dog on a diet what if we just broke the world record first and then started the diet like in a month? Like what if we just waited a month, maybe fed your dog a little bit more food and then just to break the record and we could go back and it'd be good. So you, this dog is struggling for life and you're like, you, oh no, no, we're just going to fatten it up. Just a little, I honestly, it was like three more pounds. Like we can do this. It won't be healthy, but we can do this and it'll be fine. And then we'll put the dog back on its diet. So um, again, ninth graders at the time, maybe 10th grade, uh, the food we ate was Taco Bell. That was like our mm-hmm. go-to choice. Mm-hmm. So after school every day, we would say, we're going to bring our Taco Bell home and feed it to Raphael, this this pug dog, because three pounds. You want to gain three pounds as a human. You just eat you eat Taco Bell a couple times. Oh, so no. we started going back to his house with Taco Bell, and behind his mom's back would feed this dog Taco Bell in effort to get it three pounds heavier. And so we were we were weighing it. We're like, okay, almost there, almost there. Uh, I think we're gonna beat this world record. Um, Needless to say, that the the dog didn't make it to the world record. Uh, we got we got within one pound, and uh, Skylar called us, and I could hear his mom hysterically crying in the background. And uh, their dog one night 
in its snoring sleep, uh, decided to not wake up ever again. And so, moral of the story, you can almost get a world record pretty easily. We could have had it. The dog lived another week. Easily would have had a world record. So, thanks, Raphael, for messing that up for us. Wow, dog sacrifice. Okay, so I'm Rachel Dannon. I'm Karsten Swartz. And this is the New Life Youth Podcast. So, uh, Karsten, your wife is a fairly vertically challenged. <laughs> she is. She is. She stopped um, growing in fourth grade. And you're a skyscraper. I, I mean, that's that's far-fetched. I'm 6'3". Yeah, yeah, you're a skyscraper. Okay. So, um, in your marriage, when your wife is, like, half your height, <laughs> are there any challenges that come up? Like, do you have to do a lot of things, like reach the tall places, clean the ceiling. You know, when your wife's 4'9", it's it's crazy how many places are actually tall places that you wouldn't normally think. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, there's a few. When we got married, actually, we had some students at the time. Uh, for our first kiss, they actually built Jay a stepping stool, decorated oh. the entire thing. And so when we went to do our first kiss at our wedding, they actually came up and put it in front of her, and she took a nice step up. And then we could kiss pretty evenly. So we actually still have it. It's in our laundry room. And Jay uses it every week when she does laundry to reach the laundry detergent. So, um, yeah, we have about three, three, three actual stepping stools in our house in different locations for Jay. And uh, we do use them quite often for her. And, uh, yeah, it's crazy how many things that you wouldn't think are actually tall places are. Most of our mugs I have to help her out with. And... Do you ever, like, give her shoulder rides and, like you make a superhuman yeah so we actually we rent out uh two of our bedrooms in our house our, our house is decently spread out so we rent out two different rooms so you can ask them how often i give jay like piggyback rides places not really to reach things i don't know why i actually just give her piggyback <laughs> rides all the time but it happens more often than you would think well that's sweet that's just thank you that's sweet. but they say you start looking like your spouse i don't know if you heard they say like after 40 yeah. to 50 years you start walking and step with them things like that. I might have to bend over so much I'll actually be Jay's height. I'll be that weird guy who walks with a really bad crook in his back. You'll be the hunchback of Silverdale. Of new life. Yeah. Oh yeah. So um, this week we just wanted to talk about finding your place. Um, a lot of students just have questions about this. I know I have questions about this. It's something we all struggle with. Um, fitting in and finding where you really fit in this puzzle of life. Yeah. Um, I think one of the biggest questions is like, just to start off, we all struggle with finding friends. Mm. And so when you have like a group of friends, how do you know if it's healthy? If like these are the friends you're supposed to be doing life with? Or how do you know if like maybe this is not the right place for you and it's taking away from your overall purpose? Yeah. Loaded question. Um, I think I think we live in a culture now that says everyone should have the same exact access to us as everyone else, uh, which is actually a new culture. Uh, you look at social media, it's made it so much easier for everyone to actually know uh, more intimate things about me than maybe they, they should or they should have the right to. Um, so I, I just... I. I I agree that we should be in good standing with everyone. I want to be as friendly as I can with everyone. Um, I think there are things personally in my life that I want to trust and, and actually take advice from a smaller group of people. Um, 
So I really do think sometimes you might get in, in some trouble when you're actually going to 300 people who might not have your best interest in mind when it comes to, you know, where am I, uh, am I going in life? The, the answer to like, hey, should, you know, should I actually be hanging out with them? I would say, um, do you want to be like them? Uh, really, I mean, even statistically, you could say the people you hang out with, you start becoming more alike. And so if you're hanging out with people who actually don't share the same values as you, don't share the same heart as you, um, the same passion, the same mission, the same vision, um, the same morals, I mean, you start looking at it and say, like, I'm actually becoming like someone that I don't necessarily agree with. Um, and so I know for me, like, how can I be loving to every single person and, and be caring for them? But also, how do I reserve the right to, like, I, I want to... I want to hang out with people I want to become more alike. And I want to hang out with people who, even side by side, I'm like, man, like we're doing life together. Uh, in a staff meeting last week, Wes asked, you know, how many of you guys have people f- uh, who are you doing life with and they're following Jesus just as fast as you are, running the race just as fast as you are, if not faster. And it kind of changes it from how many friends do I have to how many people am I really doing life with and wanting to, you know, be more like them, I guess you could say. So I just think the problem we get into is we we care what everyone thinks too much to the point of we actually start sacrificing who God's called us to be. Yeah, that's really good. Got to think about you are who you eat and <laughs> that's not what I meant. You are what you eat and you also are who you hang out with. Close. That's yeah. good though. <laughs> you I, are I what you eat. That's my takeaway. Just don't eat your friends. Yeah, please don't. Cannibalism is not okay. Um you heard that first here. <laughs> I think again with that we have those social environments and then at school people get into extracurricular activities mm-hmm. and they do like hey maybe they're in a theater or they're into like cross country running and they just like run across the country and <laughs> That's exactly what cross country is. Footballs yeah. and stuff like that. How do you find like how do you find where you want to get involved? Like, what's the first step to saying, hey, I think I think I should do something? Oh, are you thinking at school, in life, in church? Um, Kind of everywhere. Like, if you're just looking to, hey, I need to do something. I have all this time on my hands. Yeah. What do you do first? How do you figure out where you want to, what you want to do? Yeah, I think oftentimes people don't know what they want to do, so they don't do anything, which actually it doesn't help you find out what you want to do. Uh, my wife is kind of in the of season of like, hey, what are my hobbies? What am I doing for hobbies? And uh, so I told her, it's like every week, every Friday, try something different. Try painting a f- one Friday night. And if you love it, paint the next Friday. If you don't, go to kickboxing. I don't know, just try things. Oftentimes people get so nervous of like, I don't know what I enjoy, so I'm not going to try it. Try, you know, whatever it is, whether it's a sport, whether it's serving in something, um, give it a shot. And if you're energized by it, or you could see yourself like, man, I, I think I want to put a bit more time to this. Um, yeah, have fun with it and just try everything. If you look at even where I learned what are my passions, a lot of it came from I served in as many areas as I possibly could. And from that, I'm like, man, like this is, I, I excel at this. I'm not so great at that. And I just learned over a couple of years, like, no, like, I think this is who God's been shaping me to be. Mm-hmm. But you don't find that if you're just not trying it. That's good. Um, I think in like serving a lot, we kind of run into this place where we're like, I don't know if God's calling me here hmm. or should I just do it? What would you say to someone that's like, I'm not sure if I should wait for a sign or if I should just sign up for whatever it is? 
Yeah, I think, um, one, when you read the Bible, you see God actually kind of honors people who take the first step. Um, now, do we know if Peter knew how to swim? No, we don't. Do we know if Peter liked the water? No, we don't. He, But he took a step out of the boat. And I think that's actually important to who Peter was. He was willing to say, I'm, I'm going to step out in faith and I'll take the first step trusting that Jesus will meet me where I am. I think for some reason we've created a culture that says there's only one right door. And if you choose the wrong door, God won't bless you or your whole life will be messed up. And we take it for so many things. You see people get accepted to multiple colleges and they think I have to pick the exact right one because there's only one right choice. And if I don't choose it, my whole life will be messed up and I won't meet my spouse and I won't get the job of my dream and I'll be homeless by 32. I mean, you're just like, (laughs) I I don't think God actually operates like that. I think God says, um, you have free choice. I love you. And I'm going to bless you wherever you go. Now, is there a role we have in that? Yes. I mean, we need to look at the options. We need to weigh like, hey, how, you know, where is God pointing me towards? Um, But I just think so many people don't do things because they think I I might mess up or I might find out a a month down the road it was the wrong choice. And they just, they get immobilized by it. I honestly think just God, I mean, we think there's one door and God's like, no, there's actually a lot. And I'm going to bless you because I love you and you're my child. And uh, yeah, I just think try it, see where Jesus is leading you, have fun with it. Honestly, for a lot of things, it's like, okay, where is, I think God builds passion into us and with other people too. And so if you're looking around, you're like, man, there's four of us who just have this passion. You're like, well, let's try it and see what happens. I think God confirms things through confirming it with other people too. So I just, there's not one right door. I'm sorry. There's not, there's a lot of doors and God's going to bless you. So That's really comforting to hear. I just know, like sometimes I'll start doing something and then I'm like, I'm really terrible at this. I should just stop. But no, I should probably just keep going and see, see where God leads me there. Yeah. Um, so once you're once you're serving somewhere, once you get involved in somewhere, especially with serving in the church, um, a lot of people struggle with burnout and they get to the point where like what they're doing might be eating away at their soul, Hmm. um, and their personal health. And it's really hard, um, trying to figure out like where, where am I stepping out of my comfort zone versus where is this actually getting unhealthy for me? Yeah. And how do I just, how do I avoid getting to that place where it's like too much? Hmm. Um, I'm, I'm going to say something slightly controversial and we'll see if it's right. Um, when I read the Bible, I actually don't see a single place where a strong, healthy, committed follower of Jesus gets burnt out to the point of, I serve Jesus so much, now I'm burnt out. I, truly, you look, through the Bible, you look at Jesus as a perfect example of who, what we aim to be as we follow God. Did Jesus get tired? Yes. Did Jesus get hungry? Yes. Was Jesus maybe grumpy sometimes? Possibly. Yes. We seem to think if I serve Jesus so much, I'll actually get unhealthy. I would say that's actually a lie and it's not true. I think when we serve Jesus the way Jesus calls us to serve, we're actually being the people God's created us to be. Uh, I think burnout happens when you're serving alone, so you don't have anyone else encouraging you alongside you, Uh, when you're serving um, and you're pouring out more than you're being poured into. And I know this is true for me. I can get to seasons of, 
man, that w- I, I feel burnt out spiritually. I'm not wanting to connect with God. I don't think serving Jesus will lead us to a point of, I feel distant from God because I'm serving him. It really is. I'm pouring out at a level. You want to picture a jug or whatever it is. You're pouring out. You need something to pour into you faster than you're pouring out. For me, it's my, my personal time with Jesus. It's me listening to worship music. I listen to podcasts throughout the week. Um, I never want to get to the point where I think because I'm serving Jesus, my life actually gets worse. Um, I think God just, he's going to give his energy as he gives his energy. And and um, yeah, I just I just think it's, I think it's a lie so many of us have believed that you get burnt out because you follow Jesus. I, I just, I don't think it's true. Um, I actually think we become who God's called us to be when we serve him. So. So you said that you like to have your personal Jesus time. Yeah. You like to, you know, kind of separate and do that. What are some other ways that people can get poured into throughout their week and make sure they're not reaching this unhealthy point where they're not getting poured into enough? Yeah. yeah. If you want to look at it like a piggy bank, we can say that. So anytime you pour out, you're taking money out of the piggy bank and eventually you get bankrupt. If you're not putting it, you're not investing any money into it. Um, I know for me and for other people, your question was, how can they be, how can they get filled up? Yeah. Um, one, I think having mentors, um, I, I, for me, this is what I realized. Um, I went into a routine when it came with Jesus and that's actually when I felt burnt out. Um, I was praying the same prayer. I was saying the same things. I was acting the same way. Um, I actually wasn't being vulnerable with God. Um, there's a, a story at the end of the uh, in Revelation where uh, the people of God say, oh, God, we, we knew you. We did all these things for you. And God replies, but I never knew you. And, and for me, I've always kind of taken that. I was like, I actually, uh, we have to allow God to know us. God's a gentleman about it. Um, we need to give God time and ourselves time to really get to know God. I mean, if I approach my marriage in the way many people approach their relationship with Jesus, I would always be talking to Jay saying, I need this, I need this, I need this. Oh, like, thank you for yesterday because I think I'm supposed to say that. But we're always just saying give, 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 give. And there's never a moment of like, God, like, I just want a a relationship with you. Um, I had a moment um, probably six months ago of, of, I would say, kind of getting to the point of I feel, I can feel myself getting to the point of unhealthiness. And uh, I remember sitting down, I was reading a book. And I put the book down and said, man, I'd been reading about all these people who are friends of God. And I realized, and I found myself saying, oh, that's nice for other people. Oh, that's nice in the Bible. You could be a friend of God. Oh, that's nice for David, you know, being a man after God's own heart. And I really felt convicted because I had believed a lie that I couldn't be close to Jesus. That it was actually stories I read and Jesus impacting other people's life. But the relationship between me and him wasn't there. And I had a moment of being very vulnerable with God in, in prayer and just saying, God, I'm actually mad at you. Um, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but God, I'm mad at you. Mm-hmm. Um, here are things I felt like I did that you had called me to do, but you didn't meet me at the end of that road. Or God, you know, I, I've been trying to, you know, do this for you and something I felt you calling me to do, but um, where were you in that? And why do I still feel this angst in my soul? And I had a very real conversation and it wasn't like the the heavens opened up and angels floated down and said, all right, you're good now, Karsten. Um, It wasn't, but it led me to a journey of just saying, God, I I realize I need to be vulnerable with you. You can handle my emotions and you actually want to meet me where I'm at. There's a story in the Bible, Elijah, he's sitting under a tree and says, God, kill me. 
And I think if I ever got to the point of where I pray that, I'd be like, God might just smite me dead. And it's not God meets him where he's at and says, man, you need some food and to take a nap. He treats a physical thing with physical things. He says, you're just tired and hungry. You're hangry. Take a nap, eat some food, be, let your soul be refreshed. But he just, but he was, you know, vulnerable with God. So I know for me, I I think we can say, read more of your Bible, uh, pray more, listen to more worship music. But if you're not letting your soul be open to what, who Jesus is and what he's teaching you, the rest aren't going to help at all. You need that relationship with Jesus and other people feed into that relationship. But if there's no relationship there to start with, uh, you're missing the whole point of it. So that was a long ramble to say, be vulnerable with Jesus. No, that was beautiful. I mean, for real. Especially when you started saying hangry, I just pictured like you turning into a dinosaur and then God's like, here's a Snickers. I got you. I mean, not you when you're hungry. It's true. Yeah. It's really true. Um, so how do, I know a lot of students, especially some friends of mine, they're like, I don't really know how to get involved in New Life. I don't know who to go to. I don't know where to start. How do I get to serve? How do you get connected? Yeah, I would say New Life is a self-select culture. And that's important because it's literally in our DNA. It's in our lexicon. It's in who we are as a church. We are a self-select culture. Meaning there are a lot of people at New Life. And there are a lot of amazing leaders at New Life. And there are a lot of amazing students at New Life. There are so many that we actually can't meet with everyone one-on-one. It's, it sucks. I, I want to meet with every single person. Um, it's hard to look at everyone and say, okay, we're going to meet with you. Self-select culture means this. And Jesus did the same thing. So if you think we're wrong by doing it, read the Bible. Jesus had a self-select culture. People who leaned into him, he leaned back into them. Nicodemus, perfect example. So many stories in the gospels. People leaning into Jesus and him now leaning back to them. I would say if you are interested in serving at New Life and church, um, lean into whoever, wherever you want to serve and don't be afraid of it. I mean, simply just say, man, I'm, I'm interested in what serving could look like. Who can I get connected to and take that first step, uh, whether it's emailing someone talking to, you know, Brian at youth or, or Aaron and Rachel and kids and simply say, I'm interested in the idea of serving and maybe even have an idea of like, this is what I'm passionate about. Cause we honestly, our goal, our dream, our job as staff, the Bible says your job is to equip and call the saints. It's not to run a church, it's not anything like that. It's simply our job is to invest in you. And so the way we do that is we actually help find your passions and help put you in a place where you're gonna be winning and serving as Jesus has called you to serve. So if you know what you love, we will create a job to give you an opportunity to serve. Uh, We just want you doing what God's called you to do. So, but it definitely is a self-select culture. That's, That's really important. I think a lot of people are just like scared and they just need to hear that. Like, hey, take the first step. Um. So, yeah, that was like really cool. I'm, I'm feeling vulnerability to God. You need to get some of that. You need to not be afraid to take action, not be afraid of failure, not let that paralyze you. Um, sitting on your couch doesn't really show you what you're passionate about. So if you're not sure about something, just go do it. Um, those are all some really applicable pieces, things we can all do in our lives. Are there any last tips or tricks that you have for us? You know, I would say have fun. I mean, honestly, so many times we think, okay, for me to serve, it means I have to do something that someone else is doing that I might not be passionate about. 
Um, Tim Woodworth, I'll give a shout out to him. He he was amazing at this. He he said, I love Jesus and I love parkour. What can I do with that? And he started a parkour Bible study. Now, I would never do that because I don't know how to parkour. I have a scar on my ankle from trying one time in uh, 11th grade. I, it just, I, I don't I don't mix with that. But Tim simply said, I, I have a passion about something, and so I'm going to do something with that. And so he connected his normal, what we're saying normal life, and I put that in quotes, uh, normal life to what Jesus is doing. Um, and so I would say, if you have a passion for something, how can you bring Jesus into that? Uh, I think some of the greatest things have started just from people saying, I, I, I'm passionate about basketball, okay, but I love Jesus. What am I going to do with that? Well, maybe you, you're feeling like, man, I'm going to be the best, you know, best sportsman I can possibly be. Maybe you think, I want to start like a Bible study before practice, whatever it is. Uh, the moment, and I think really what Jesus coming showed us that um, the separation of heaven and earth, actually, the line is now gone meaning the spiritual and the normal doesn't exist anymore. It's all one. So how can we take our normal, everyday, ordinary, average lives and make it extraordinary for Jesus? That's where I think you see the world start changing. So I would say find what you love doing, bring Jesus and just say, man, we're going to do some fun stuff together and, and, and see what happens. So You heard it here first. Be extraordinary. Take your ordinary, add some extra, make it extraordinary. Thank you, Carson. That was beautiful. Thank you, Rachel. Tune in next week to find out how Ryan Brewer learned that blood does not actually equal love. So when I was in uh, kindergarten, I had my first crush. Her name was Marianne Nelson. Marianne Nelson wasn't like the other girls. She colored inside the line. She didn't eat glue. She was the perfect girl every kindergartner boy dreams about and I decided I was gonna go ahead and try and get her attention I have no idea what happened but somehow my hand went from being open to being closed and as my hand made a fist it made its way towards that front seat and just as she popped up I literally punched Marianne Nelson right in the nose Marianne Nelson and I never got together because I punched her in the face.